How do you explain the unexplainable? That warmth that fills you up from the inside out? Does it come from the air, the sea, the sun, the people? Or is it something that can't be put into words? Because Aruba is more than a beautiful island. It's a feeling that brings out a happier, sunnier you. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your next visit at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Simple Mobile. Tired of being tied down with a wireless contract? Switch to Simple Mobile and stay connected on a powerful nationwide 5G network. Unlimited talk, text, and data starts at $30 a month with no contracts, activation fees, or credit checks. Visit simplemobile.com today. Out with the old, in with the simple. Compatible 5G-capable device and SIM require. Actual availability, coverage, and speed may vary. 5G network not available in all areas. One month equals 30 days. See terms and conditions at simplemobile.com. Welcome to the Honey Hole Hangout podcast. Uh, today, we have one of my good friends, Mr. Evan Porterfield on, and he was the one just blowing that duck call, not me, because like I said in previous podcasts, I sound like a three-year-old on a kazoo. Evan won't let Cliff touch a duck call. No, Evan won't let Cliff blow a duck call when it comes to actually duck hunting, but yeah. I understand it. Yeah, Got to leave those in the truck. We got Ian as well. What's up, Ian? What's up, guys? What's up, guys? How y'all doing? We're doing good. Let's. Uh, what do we got? What are we drinking tonight? Did you bring this? Yeah, yeah. Evan brought us a whiskey. Evan, tonight. will you uh, tell us what you brought? Sure. Uh, so this is actually a Scotch. It's a uh, Balvenie. Um, it's a Caribbean cask, aged fourteen years. Um, what they do is they finish it off in a rum barrel. So a little sweeter. Um, yeah, it's going to have a little bit of a, probably a little bit of a vanilla, um, Mm -hmm. caramel, maybe, I don't know what your taste buds are going to see, but I don't know a whole lot about scotch. I just know that I like it. Mm -hmm. Um, and this is, this is probably, yeah, probably one of the sweeter ones. It's not going to be extremely smoky, so it's pretty good. Awesome. I'm excited. Let's, hey, while we're, while we're pouring, uh, Ian, what are you drinking? Dude, I just drank a Dr. Pepper in a mini can and it's tasted like Dr. Pepper and recycled aluminum. Um, <laughs> but it was, but it was, del- I, it was delicious. I like Dr. Pepper. So, uh, yeah. what would you rate uh, it? Yeah. What would you rate it on on our honeypot scale? Oh, uh, dude, this one. Okay. It's hard to be the price though. If, if you're taking, a, if you're taking a price into consideration. <laughs> yeah. This, so this is a little controversial. But I think Dr. Pepper in the bottle tastes better because I think it retains the carbonation more and they're not stored as long from what I've read. So Everything this in was a from a can. I think, Glass bottle. I think so, too. So this was in a can. So, uh, man, 3.2 out of 5 honey pots. For a Dr. Pepper, really? I give it a four. I would, have, this one, I would, have, given, I would have given wow. Dr. Pepper, granted, I drink diet Dr. Pepper, Mm-hmm. But I would have given it a solid four, four point five. I normally I give it a five, but this one for some reason was a three point two. 
So, what do you think, Cliff? Um, you were pointing at it because I made a face, but what that face is is me like taking in the flavors. That's not a like a disgusted face. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> hard to tell. So for, you did give a pretty disgusted face, though. Well, what I do is I push it back and like try and get all the flavors to go over my tongue. But what I first off, I did a little nose, and you can definitely smell the peat in it. It's a fairly peaty scotch, but I mean that's kind of indicative of scotch, in my opinion, anyway. Um, it's there, but it's not heavy. Mm-mm. Especially on the rocks. It goes down super smooth. I like it. I like it. I'm giving it a solid four. Evan? I mean, it's always on my shelf. I don't know what you So that's that. a five, then, <laughs> if you if you keep it stocked all the time. How much is that bottle? Um, it runs anywhere from 50 to 60 bucks. Okay. Yeah. That's not horrible for a scotch. Yeah. Um, I'm going to definitely say... I might even go a little higher, like 4.3. I'm going to say 3.7 three, for me, but that's because I don't, I'm not going to keep hard liquor <laughs> for personal reasons. Not when, not when there's beer. <laughs> right. But I would say, like, this one's definitely one that I would buy again, 110%. That's good. Absolutely. So, Cliff, I have a bombshell to drop on you. Okay. I don't know if you're ready for this. This article is titled, Why a Butt Surgeon is Begging You to Stop Using Wet Wipes. What the Ooh. heck, dude? That's the first <laughs> article we're going to do on the podcast? Yeah, as much as Cliff likes to talk about his dude wipe, his obsessive dude wipe usage. Glad I'm here. I don't um, use obsessively. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> We've had some pretty thoughtful conversations, though, about the whole wet wipe. Yeah, and you I know. still stand by. You use, it's like clean up first with draws. Get your get all the the caked on stuff out of the way, oh and then God. you then you follow up with the dude wipe to get all the residue and all that off, get it good squeaky clean, and then you follow that up with another light gentle dry ticket to kind of just that process is too much. But here, Cliff, I'm are just going to say, this, man, your, are y'all not wiping your butt good? Yeah, no, I'm wiping Cliff, it perfectly Cliff, good. I'm just going to say this, man. You need to start eating fiber or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, I eat like, a lot of fiber. Damn. I just want to clean under downstairs. People think if they can use wet wipes on their baby, they can use it on themselves. However, while wet wipes might make you think you're getting your bum cleaner, they can actually cause a myriad of complications that you probably don't want to have to deal with in the long run. In addition this is the article. to being a major environmental concern, which is a big deal, wet wipes aren't the best option for your health or your butt region. Just like the skin on your face, your butt and its surrounding skin is covered in good and bad bacteria, which work together to find homeostasis and keep your tush in tip-top condition. This is important, so when you start to augment that with wet wipes, what happens is you're wiping away good bacteria, and the balance becomes a problem. When there's an imbalance, you can end up with irritation, rashes, or fungal or bacteria infections. Um, Another big risk with using wet wipes is the moisture factor. The moisture just festers, and it causes a change in bacteria and leads to irritation. If this continually happens, uh, people can feel as though they have fissures or hemorrhoids. Right, which is exactly why you follow up with a dry one. Then it's not 
moist down there. Yeah, but did you hear? It's like you completely blotted out what I said before that. <laughs> no, you're only <laughs> no, but that's why, that's why you're not like scrubbing down there with the dude white. Mm-hmm. I use one dude white. But when I go, you're messing up your ecosystem down there. That's and as a conservationist with the leader of our C4, you understand how important ecosystems wipes, are. Dude wipes also claim to be biodegradable, whereas other wet wipe companies are not, and they do not claim that Okay, as well. That would be interesting to look into. So the environmental concern, but you also have your butt environmental concern. I and feel you're messing like... Up no. I, I looked into that article because um, I uh, I heard somewhere that uh, wet wipes can give you anal fissures, and I was like, uh, that's not something I want. This would be interesting to talk about on the podcast, and Cliff needs to hear about this. I feel like if you used them like super obsessively, like all the time, and that was the only wipe that you used. And you don't use them super obsessively. No. Only when you <laughs> do that. And mainly only when I go outside, I will say. Dude, we have just lost, like, all of the female listeners and probably a third of the <laughs> no, male I, listeners. I, I, when no. did we have female <laughs> listeners? I, well, I, okay, I just fair, dro- point. Hey, fair well, point. Well, well, I just dropped some science, Ian, you know? Just just giving our and listeners female facts. Female listeners can we've, use wet we've, wipes. We've been singing the praises of dude wipes. And I just don't want someone to be like, <laughs> I've been using dude wipes, and now I have all these issues. Anal fissures. <laughs> you just want to make sure everybody's okay. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. Just hemorrhoid yeah. prevention. Yeah, hemorrhoid prevention. <laughs> oh, my God. I would, I, would, I would never, I would never, and I have never claimed to exclusively use dude wipes. That's all I'm saying. Now I feel like this. That article, is fair. I will stick up. I will stick up for Cliff on that. I have never seen. He I is brand loyal, like, but he's never said he only uses them. I feel like what this article is addressing are the people who exclusively use wet wipes one hundred percent of the time. Do you truly believe that, or are you trying to justify your actions? No, in I using truly believe. I, I truly believe that. <laughs> okay, let me move on to our questions. Um, uh, pecan pie or pumpkin pie? Pecan. Oof. Mm. Ian? Pecan, hands down. Cup of coffee, black coffee with it, please. Now, Ian, we need to talk about your coffee obsession. That's a whole other topic, though. Dude, That's, I've cut so, down to like three, or, like three cups a day. Bro. Ian's like, I've cut down to three or four cups a day. So, not not to pull the cliff card here, but it depends. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, it depends because that cup of coffee, it might have just, I almost said pumpkin, but when he threw the coffee in there, Ian, that's a solid one. So, pumpkin pie, like, is only how much whipped cream you got. Right, but. To a good point. It's I required. would say it, I would say pumpkin pie is required to have whipped cream because if you don't have any, and I would only do pumpkin pie, like pretty much beginning of October through the end of November, and then it stops. So it's a very seasonal thing. Whereas I feel like pecan pie, oh, but wow. sweet potato pie, though. <laughs> Ooh, sweet potato pie. That's a different. I don't like sweet potatoes. That's it, different. All right, next question was, um, what are you looking forward to eat at Thanksgiving? 
pecan pie. <laughs> <laughs> Just straight <laughs> silence. No one's like, oh, Thanksgiving's around the know. corner. It, let's be. Well, does everybody eat traditional Thanksgiving? Yeah, I'd say like every yeah. year turkey and you depends know, on where we do ham. We don't. What do y'all do? Uh, well, it depends on which family, but a turducken or no? We actually uh, oh, Chinese say, takeout. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a Polish meal. Okay, Ooh. so it's like um, I don't know what are they called. I don't even know what they're called, but they're basically little dumplings that you can make, and they have different fillings in them. What, what like what do they fill them they're, with? Uh, mostly like potato, like potato and meat, or potato and cheese, or potato and onion. They're always some. Are you Polish, Evan? No, no. Mm-mm. That actually sounds really okay. good, though. But the family that we do um, Thanksgiving with, that's what they do. So There's I'm a sorry. lot of Texans that are uh, Polish, like a ton. Yeah, like but I do enjoy like the fried turkey. That's mm-hmm. I feel like oh, that's yeah. a hard question because like I don't look forward to any one thing on my Thanksgiving plate. It's the combination. Yeah, you have to have all of it. Yeah, for it to be like that's what sets it off. Yeah, I do like pumpkin pie though. <laughs> So I'm going to be like, if I'm looking forward to one thing, like the whole meal is a solid, but then like pie afterwards. I would say if I had to pick one thing is like the the dressing. I love dressing. Mm-hmm. Depends. Depends. <laughs> if it's no. not very good. Okay, dressing yeah, is one like, of those things like chili. No, people do. You got to be careful. It, it can be good with beans, but... Just got to be careful. All right, so yeah, tonight Evan Evan lives up north of Austin a little bit, and uh, so he came down and I made a chili tonight because I was like, all right, I'll I'll make us a dinner so you don't have to eat on the road or anything. So I I told him I was going to make chili, and it's been a topic of discussion for the past week of is it really chili because I put beans in it, whereas Evan is gunko Texan and is like. Beans are the devil. Yeah. Hold on. What's that? Okay. Yeah for, Ian? Well, okay. Okay. Ian, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, 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 no. Break, Sorry, break Cliff, it down. I'm on. Okay. I've, I'm not originally from Texas, but I've been here half my life and my mom's family's from Texas and I don't believe in beans and chili. I'm sorry. Did but you I put don't. beans in chili? I put beans in chili. No. Is that a nope. Georgia thing, or is that just... That's the correct thing. <laughs> Whoa. 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 For, easy there. Easy there. For, someone, for someone to have Listeners, just said, please, you need to put more fiber in your diet, <laughs> and say, I don't believe in beans and chili. <laughs> like, that's, I'm not okay. ready for the onslaught of hate mail. You just... <laughs> <laughs> beans belong in chili. What kind of beans? Kidney. Only kidney. Any other type of beans, then you're messing it up. Okay. But it can only be like kidney, and you don't want to put a lot. I'm not saying make it like 50-50 ground beef to beans, but you do want some in there because, A, it thickens it up a bit, and, B, it adds that fiber that you need after eating eating chili (laughs) everyone needs. (laughs) It, it's just a good piece, and it's very low in flavor, so it's not like you're changing the flavor makeup. You're more or less changing the texture of the chili itself. Uh, honestly, could you taste any of them kidney, kidney beans? Yeah, a little bit, but, I mean, I offset that with a healthy dose of Fritos and 
cheese. Oh, everyone puts Frito and cheese in their cheese. But it wasn't, it wasn't overbearing. I said, I said, your chili was good. It was good. But it was not, the amount of beans was not overbearing. So it was, it was, you know. Okay. It was still good. Okay. To be fair, it was still good. To be fair. <laughs> Camelback or water bottle? Ooh. I'm going to say it I depends. would prefer a Camelback. I would prefer a Camelback. But Camelbacks can sometimes be a lot of work and effort, and sometimes it's just easier to grab a water bottle. Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. I would agree. If I'm, <clears throat> if I know I'm going to go on a long hike where I'm just, I, it's off season, I'm scouting, I know I'm going to be out there all day. Take a Camelback. I'm taking a Camelback, right, because it's heavier. <clears throat> it's easier to pack because, uh, you know, you're throwing it on your back, but. If I'm it, pretty much any other time, it's it's a it's a water bottle. I feel like I feel like the purpose of a Camelback is very. There's a, a limited window of where it's actually preferred, and makes up the difference of where it's the better idea. Like if you're doing a a morning hunt or something like that, water bottles all you need. Camelbacks too much. If you're doing a day hunt. Like where you're going to be out there all day, mm-hmm. then I think a th- three liter Camelback. Mm-hmm. But if you're extending into a multi day scenario of where like you're going into like backcountry or you're backpacking, mm-hmm. then I would go back to the water bottle, but with water purification abilities. Yeah, but see, Cliff, that wasn't a it depends question. That was <laughs> Camelback or water bottle. I'm going cam- Camelback. It's like if I had to choose one. <clears throat> like one to use the rest of your life? No, I'd say for like hunting and fishing. If water, I was hunting and fishing. Bottle. Water bottle. Yeah. Water bottle. So I have a... So when I was in Arizona, we used to use Camelbacks a lot and go hike the mountains. And dude, when you have like the the drinking straw or the tube, if that thing... Here, here's my issue with Camelback. It's hooked to like the ball bottom of the whole water bladder right if that thing comes undone which it did a few times you lose all your water in like a second mm, I've never and that's had happened that to me in the desert so i won't i will not do camelbacks again i i, water bottle. I, I that's never happened to me the only thing with the camelback is that the water that's sitting in the hose when you first take a drink out of it uh, is kind of warm, warm. It tastes like plastic yeah. yeah all right last question is you drinking ian yeah, I just drank a uh, uh, Lacroix. Did you hear that? Sorry. Yeah, I did. <laughs> They're doing ASMR oh, wow. again. <laughs> All right, headshots or vitals? Ooh, depends on the animal. Oh my! That that is an Evan and Cliff and Landon question. Ian, you can give your opinion. Shoot it! No, I can't say um, <laughs> Texas heart shot go all day long. Right up the pooper. Yeah, I mean that's oh. you know. I'm gonna say vitals. I'm gonna go <clears throat> vitals because you. Yeah. Headshot is definitely. The headshot is definitely more uh, deadly, but you so much uh, smaller room for error, mm-hmm. right? So you could shoot the jaw off, and that let's say it's a deer. You shoot that jaw off, that deer is gonna, you know, he's gonna run off and eventually die, most likely of of starvation. You hit that bullet through the boiler room, and you're good to go. You know, mm-hmm. it's gonna die. And probably die very quickly. So, I mean, if you're a sniper, I suppose you might say headshot, but I'm not a sniper, so 
I'm going vitals. I like to think headshots on hogs. But if I'm going for a deer, I'd probably go for vitals. Yeah, I'd say I, I'm gonna I'm gonna hop on with Evan Vitals. I do know some people that hunt like really small pieces of property. They're 100 percent headshot because if like I'm talking like 10 acres, if that animal runs onto their neighbor's property, they can't necessarily retrieve it. You know, even a vital shot, you know, animal could run, jump a fence, and so um, aim small, miss small. True, but. I feel like that's a more niche market. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, what's the next one? Uh, That's all the questions. All right. Did you guys do anything uh, exciting, like hunting or fishing-wise, this week? I went back up to Lameda, Texas. Lomita. Lomita. 44 and 1 Saturday, and then 33. Three or thirty and three. Is that all you do now? Is clean other people's animals? It seems about that right. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean? What, what are you? Thirty and three and uh, thirty. Thirty check. Thirty chucker. Three pheasant. Forty four ish chucker and one pheasant. That's respective over two days. Um, cleaned and then I kind of helped with. Did you ban birds and I did ban bird I banded all of them and then uh I got to kind of do like a shadowing of the guides mm. to kind of like learn a little bit of that side of it how to put hatch on birds I did work hatch so Saturday he pointed up four on his own mm-hmm. but I wasn't paying attention because I was doing other stuff and he pointed up four. I shot one of them, but the other three, I didn't even have a gun on me. And then the next day, um, I put out 10 birds just to work hatch with. And, uh, he found five. And of those five, two got away, Mm. but three came down. Gotcha. And are in my freezer now. Is Hatch at that point? Like, is Hatch self-aware enough to be like, look back at you and like, you missed my bird. Like, if one, if you don't down one, or is he not that self-aware yet? He normally runs off chasing it. I gotcha. He chased one real far off. I had to like, is that pointer buzz his ass a couple <laughs> times to bring him back. <laughs> yeah. I gotcha. Land is rotten down. I gotcha. We didn't take them out of the other one. That's true. I'll, I'll leave it in. Now, but we're already talking about it, so now I got to cut it out. <laughs> Since we're talking about it, we're going to leave it in or leave it out. But it, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't necessarily hunt hatch with other people yet. Like if it's you and me or Evan mm-hmm. and I. Or Ian and I. Well, he pointed a bird for me. I would I would hunt hatch with you guys. But if someone was like paying me, if I was actually being like the guide of the trip or whatever, I wouldn't use hatch on someone else mm-hmm. right now. He's not to that level. And that's all on me. I'm not saying that's Hatch's problem. Mm-hmm. That's my problem for not training him mm-hmm. to where he needs to be at this point. 
but he has a lot of potential and a lot of promise for so for a dog that had only ever seen a chucker three weeks ago for the first time mm-hmm. and then just starting to point him up on his own. I feel like that's potential. Well, there's a lot of instinct in those dogs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can catch a lot of bad habits quick, but right. I mean, there's a lot of instinct in there. Yeah. Know, that they, I mean, they know what they're doing. Yeah. So, Angie, you do anything fun this weekend? Man, I caught like a few little bass, but. Um, Where'd you fish? That's about it. Rhymers. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty close to me, and so I went over there, and, uh, dude, I've just been working on the house, man. Um, So, no, nothing super fun, but uh, just nothing crazy outdoors, which Mm -hmm. I need to do something. So, Uh, But, no, not especially. I'll probably do a little bit of fishing this weekend. Sounds good, man. We got another wood tip pickle chip email. Oh, no. <clears throat> Deer season started up down here in the south. Up down here. Up down here. Up down here. Up down here. <laughs> University of Southern North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we only hunt with rifles, okay, because we actually like to kill our deer. Throw a stick at them and hope for the best. Ain't my kind of hunting. Since my archery skills are outdated and we never use them in NOM anyway, I'll speak about what my pappy taught me, shotguns. You boys got some interesting thoughts about this weapon. Ain't nothing better than an old pump 20 gauge. I even got an old bolt action 20 gauge magazine and all. Crazy, ain't it? Y'all need to come to South Texas and get some dirt on your hands. All these fancy over-under talk is like it's like a bench-made knife. That fancy shotgun won't do, won't do you a bit of good on the third coast. Mud as hell, no fooling. Two shots, three shots. Take that plug out of the gun and really kill some birds. I mean, are we here for the groceries or not? You know what I'm saying? Talk more about McKellen 12 years. But don't overlook the Balvin 17-year double wood scotch and pump jacks. Life is good. Podcast is too. Signed wood tip. All you got to do, this is a little PS at the bottom. All you got to do is show them some love. Those pump jacks really thrive on a little positive affirmation. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah. My only my only counter argument to that is I used Cliff's pump action shotgun when we went to Lameda a couple weeks ago, and it did not operate correctly on me. But I told you after that, when him and I went, Duck hunting, it jammed on me. We took it back to the cabin. Oh, was that the same? Yeah. Okay. Took it back to the cabin, and it did the exact same thing. Yeah. And we believe we fixed it, and I haven't had an issue with it since. Did you use it at the place Mm -hmm. this last weekend? And no no issues? Nice. No issues. So that little... That's good. That little fix hopefully took care of it. That's good. Thanks, Woodtip. You guys ready to hop in some articles? Yeah. Ian, you want to go first? I am not ready to go. You're not ready? Cliff. I can go. Give me five minutes. Yeah. Yes, C4. find this article. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong, but yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me find one. It's good. And Evan was like, man, your guys' podcast is so organized. <laughs> right before we went on air, 
And I'm like, yeah. Dude, it's all a facade. <laughs> so, uh, you know one thing I learned? This is interesting. I used to work in radio. I don't know if this is true across the board, but you know when they were like, you're caller number three. I was working with this guy working the board, and he said they just punch a random channel and just say, you're caller number three. <laughs> yes. And I was like, really? And he was like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, is that true everywhere? And he's like, I'm not sure, but who's going to keep track? So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I am doing, going over tonight's topic, once we get to it, is coyote hunting. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to uh, kind of talk about the uh, coyote. And so I'm kind of given a lot of broad overview facts about coyotes. All right, the coyote is listed as the least concerned by the International Union of Conservation of Nature, which is the IUCN, as we talked about a few weeks ago, and least concerned being like the very lowest uh, classification for an animal to be with data reported on it. I gotcha. Due to its wide distribution and abundance throughout North America. Cody populations are also abundant southwards through Mexico and Central America. The, v- the species is versatile, able to adapt, and to expand environment- environmental modifications made by humans. It is enlarging its range by moving into urban areas of the eastern United States. The coyote was sighted. Uh, the coyote was sighted in the eastern Panama across the Panama Canal from their home range for the first time in 2013. The coyote is recognized. The coyote has 19 recognized subspecies. The average male weighing between 8 to 20 kilograms or 18 to 44 pounds, and the average female weighing between 15 and 40 pounds. Humans are the coyote's greatest threat, followed by cougars and gray wolves. In spite of this, coyotes sometimes mate with the gray wolf, eastern and red wolves, producing coyote wolves. Really? Hybrids, yes. The coyote has been described... Is this like a creature watch? Or is this... No, this is a, a, a real thing. It's a real thing. The coyote has been described as the most vocal of all wild North American mammals. Its loudness and range of vocalizations was the cause for its bionormal name, Cantus latrinus. That was perfect. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> that was like when I tried. That's like when I tried to say a bunch of Latin names and butchered them. <laughs> yeah, which translates to the barking dog. At least eleven different vocalizations are known in the uh, for male for adult coyotes. Coyotes feature uh, features a trickster figure and skinwalker in uh, folk tales. Why don't you turn me off? Oh, sorry. You're number. I'm number two. two. Yeah. Uh, Cody feature as a trickster figure and skinwalker in the folktales of some Native American, notably oh, yeah, dude. several nations in the southwestern and the plains regions, where he alternatively assumes the form of actual coyotes or that of a man. As with other trickster figures, coyotes act as a persnickety 
Hera who rebels against social convention through uh, deception and humor. Folklorists such as Harris, I don't know who that is, believe coyotes came to be seen as tricksters due to the animal's intelligence and adaptability. After the Europeans colonized the Americas, Anglo-American depictions of coyotes are of a cowardly and untrustworthy animal. Unlike the gray wolf, which has undergone a radical improvement in its public image, Anglo-American culture's attitudes towards the coyote remain largely negative. I disagree with that. Coyotes attack... Keep going. I have. I want to comment on this one, but keep going. All right. Coyote attacks on humans are com- are uncommon and rarely cause serious in- injuries, due to the relatively small size of the coyotes, but have been increasingly uh, frequent, especially in California. There have been only two confirmed fatal attacks: one on a three-year-old named Ke- uh, Kelly Keene in Glendale, California, and another on a 19-year-old named. Uh, Taylor Mitchell in Nova Scotia, Canada. In the 30 years leading up to March 2006, at least 180 attacks occurred in the United States, mostly in the Los Angeles County area. Hmm. All right, Ian. Yeah, so you're talking about skinwalkers. Um, They, I'm not going to go into like my personal, like spiritual beliefs about that. Um, um, but they are something that you don't want. Basically, like as a Christian, like they, you know, they, this could go along different ways, but they definitely are very real to the Navajo people. Um, uh, especially in the Northern part of Arizona, I lived in Phoenix, but if you go into the Northern part of Cal or Arizona or the Southwest or Utah, Colorado, you know, they're very, fearful of them and they don't like to discuss them um, because they think if you did discuss them that they will appear and they're usually basically like witch doctors that this is their belief uh, that take the form of uh, um, animals and they kind of transmutate back and forth. And so all I'm like saying is it is um, they, like skinwalkers are kind of like witch doctors. Um, basically, or like healers, kind of like curanderos in Mexico. But yeah, they will walk. Uh, they're kind of like half wolves. Um, I'm not saying they're real or not, but I've, all I'm saying is that it, you have to be very careful like how you talk about them. Like my, I have some family that went to school at Northern Arizona University, and which is in Northern, it's in Flagstaff. And like, there's a lot of Native American folks up there, and it's just they're very scared of them and fearful and mm-hmm. they believe they're real. So, uh, you know, people, it's very interesting. And most people outside of like Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, Colorado, Nevada, don't know about them. But I remember talking to people that were like, I had a friend who was Navajo. He was half Navajo. Yeah. He was like, oh, we don't so talk about I that. just did a, a quick Google search and yeah. it's, it's part of Navajo folklore and culture. Yes. yes. There's also some sort of uh, paranormal activity thing through the History Channel talking about skinwalkers. I'm not going to go into like my personal beliefs about what they are, uh, probably on the podcast, but 
Um, they, you know, what people are scared about is like, they'll say that you'll be driving on the reservation and they'll run like 25 miles an hour. Mm. Like human, human, human like figures. Um, Cliff, you said that, um, where the, the perception of wolves is good and the perception of public perception of coyotes is negative, And you said, I disagree with that. I'd like for you to elaborate because I mean, yeah, uh, ranchers and farmers have a negative uh, vision of coyotes, mainly because they eat and harass their cattle or their livestock, and I understand that. But I think the layman in uh, modern society doesn't carry that negative connotation of like it's a crap predator or a trash predator i think a lot of people hold them pretty like, I, high regard i would say a lot of people don't care it's not like a wolf or a bear where people are very passionate one way okay, or another I, I can, about i can see that i just read it as more of like people just hate the coyote and it just has an extremely negative uh image which I disagree with that. I feel mm-hmm. like it's either neutral or non-existent would be my feelings. I gotcha. I gotcha. What do you think, Evan? You're awfully quiet over there. Well, I mean, in regards to, I'm trying to think of many different scenarios. If you look at, um, <clears throat> if you look at your um, kind of your in-town situation, not necessarily like your inner city uh, urban type um, setting, but where you just have like your, you know, these rural, rural, more rural type areas, uh, your subdivisions, right? Housing subdivisions. Yep. They do not have a good view of coyotes because they they eat their pets. Yeah, yeah, and they're scared of them. You know, they don't. You know, they see them run into the yard in the middle of the night chasing their cat or you know somebody's dog or something, and, mm-hmm. and then it's it's a very bad. It puts a bad taste in their mouth about an animal they know nothing about. In my yeah. opinion, um, so I, I don't know. I'm, Cliff's right about farmers and ranchers. They definitely do not uh, have have a high regard for the animal, mm-hmm. especially people with chickens. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I think any livestock, yeah. for that matter, because they're they're very opportunistic. Um, so I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's I think it's both. I think you you have people that either hate them hate them or people that don't care. Yeah, and I I don't think it gets like the the persona of the wolf. You know, no, of like I, I where would, like I, would, I guess I agree with that because like. It doesn't have a that, lot of that, people that romance yeah. to it. Mm-hmm. Wolves have a romanticized version of themselves out there, it's, especially in this day and age. It's kind of interesting to think about when you said you know people coming over were you know they weren't fond of the coyote, weren't fond of the wolf, and basically people hunted wolves to extinction, but coyotes weren't hunted to extinction. And um, what you have something to say? I think that they almost were. No, no. Mm-mm. I don't believe so. I'm, For some I, reason, I know y'all want to talk more about this later, but the, 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 and I think it's probably something you were going to bring up was the uh, the the book. Uh, you've mentioned it before, the Coyote, Coyote America. America. I need to read that book. It's it's pretty good. Uh, I've read it a couple times. It I, there's some stuff about it I don't like, but um, do you do audio books? Yeah, it's a pretty good book. But uh, he basically talks about how um, coyotes have a uh, what he calls a fish a fission food. 
fission fusion. <laughs> okay. Um, whereas uh, they're very adapt, they're like us. They're very adaptive, and so the, actually, the more pressure that got put on them, the more successful they were. Interesting. Um, yeah. So it's and he talks about that in the book, uh, which is um, I don't know that they were ever pushed. I don't know, but based on my memory on the book. Uh, just from that book anyway, that they don't, they weren't ever pushed to extinction, um, that they actually, um, were more prolific because of the pressure that was put on them. Okay. Unlike the wolf who is not as adaptive. And what he talks about in the book is he talks about how, uh, the, like a wolf is, is, is a pack animal. Mm-hmm. It has to have its pack to survive. Whereas a, a coyote can have a pack to survive. He can be in a, you know, a family of 20 and do great, but he can also be alone. I and gotcha. do just as fine. Okay. Uh, and be just as, um, you know, successful. I'd like to read the book. I, yeah, it's I, good. I've contemplated it like now for about six months. Well, I just sent it to you. For free? Yep. Nice. Nice. Is it audio? Yep. I'm driving to Colorado next week. Maybe I can crank it out. Does Dan Flores read it? Like read his own book? That's the best uh, when the author yeah, reads it. Yeah. I don't. He's pretty good. pretty good speaker. He was on... Uh, Another part of one of the... No, it's read by Elijah Alexander, Mm -hmm. but it's it's pretty good. It's not like a weirdo reading it or anything. Like, he has a pretty good voice for it. Some of it's pretty repetitive. It's it's good. I listened to uh, um, a Joe Rogan podcast recently where he interviewed Ranella. Yeah. And they were talking about how in his Buffalo, American Buffalo book... Mm -hmm. Which is a phenomenal book. Did you do the audio or did you do the? Uh, did you actually read it? I have an audio version. Um, I, I he read it, it with his ears. Um, <laughs> I can't read. I'm from Georgia. <laughs> I uh, he was talking about with Joe Rogan how the first ten years, someone else bought the audio rights to that book initially when he wrote it, and they had an, an actor read the book. And when he when he went to listen to someone else read his book. He was like, that's not my book. Like, that's not what the guy, the person should sound like who's reading this book. He didn't have the right inflection or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so he was talking about how after 10 years that um, contract expired, he got to redo the audio version 10 days later. And it was like a, um, a special moment in his career that he is um, extremely happy about, but that no one else would care about. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was real interesting. But I, after hearing that conversation, having heard a couple other people about reading their own audio book, I think it would be much more compelling to have the author read their book, their own, listen to the author read their own book. So my version of American Buffalo was read by Steve Rinella. Okay. Cool. We ready? You guys ready to move on? I'll go next. Then we'll do Ian, and then uh, we'll do uh, Zach's yeah, not here. We, did, not we didn't mention that Zach's not here. No, we did not. Our regular listeners would probably Ew. notice that. But <laughs> I'm on the board, and we'll, we're, I muted Cliff earlier. <laughs> I was in the middle of talking. So uh, you guys probably figured out that Zach wasn't here, but we're going we're gonna to fill in for Zach this week with the Creature Watch. So for On Patrol. And boy, do we have a doozy for you. On Patrol. On patrol. We were. We <laughs> Thanks, Cliff. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, that's what I was looking for. <laughs> Since we had to uh, mix up our sound bites. <clears throat> Flying squirrel poaching ring broken up by Florida wildlife investigations. Florida. <laughs> Florida man. 
In January of 2019, a concerned citizen in Marion County, Florida, noticed something strange. Someone was trapping flying squirrels. The anonymous tipster notified the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission, FWC, launching a 19-month investigation that uncovered an elaborate flying squirrel tracking operation in which up to 3,600 of the protected animals were captured and sold as part of the international illegal wildlife trade. Wildlife conservation laws protect Florida's precious natural resource from abuse. The investigation's uh, section leader, Grant Burton, said... Uh, the concerned citizen who initially reported this activity started an investigation and covered a major smuggling operation. Uh, these poachers could have severely damaged Florida's wildlife populations. It sounds like they did with 3,600 flying squirrels. That's, that's not a small amount. The investigation has so far uncovered seven sp- suspects. Together, the group has racked up 25 felony charges, including racketeering, money laundering, and uh, scheming to defraud. With the exception of one individual, all of those involved have been arrested, so he felt like it was the right time to highlight this case. The arrest took place between April and August of this year and include four men from Florida, two men from Georgia. In addition, in addition to targeting flying squirrels, the Florida suspects also caught and sold protected freshwater turtles and alligators. All told, the poachers set at least 10,000 squirrel traps throughout central Florida over a three-year period. I, it, it, the scale of this is crazy. The operation worked roughly like this. Poachers set traps for squirrels in several Florida counties. The captured squirrels were sold to a wildlife dealer in Bushnell, Florida, who laundered the wild squirrels through a licensed business that claimed they were bred in captivity. South Korean buyers would buy the squirrels from Bushnell and have them driven to Chicago. In Chicago, the squirrels' true origin was further concealed, and a wildlife exporter would send them to Asia without knowing they, knowing they had been obtained illegally. When the operation grew larger, drivers from Florida would help transport the squirrels from Florida to Chicago in rental cars. Big money. Johnson pointed out that flying squirrels were not well suited to domestication. I don't see the point of having a gnawing nocturnal rodent as a pet, he said. In their natural habitat, however, they are an important meal for owls and rat snakes. Johnson thought their absence could have an impact on their predators, but also noted that they reproduce quickly and their population would likely rebound now that the poachers have been apprehended. Mm. That's a big scheme. Like when I found this, yeah. um, the scale of this scheme of like rental cars from you know Florida to Chicago and like how elaborate the scheme was. I wonder what they go pretty, for. Like they're selling these said Korea or somewhere. They they never put a price. Um, they're sending them to Asia. They didn't say where, but they also never mentioned um, oh, a monetary value. Yeah, it's um, a very lucrative business. Like here uh, in Texas, um, and I had a game warden tell me this uh, that I think it's the three-toed box turtle or something that's native mm-hmm. everywhere, I guess. Um, that, it, the three-toed box turtle is native everywhere, or yeah, it's native it's, in Texas? It's native in Texas, but it's native in other states as well, I believe. Okay. I think that's what it is. Don't hold me to that. But anyhow, oh, some I'm kind of turtle. Yeah, thanks. Some kind of turtle um, that they trap them, and that they if they sell them in America, they're worth like whatever, I don't know, 20 or 30 bucks. Uh-huh. But if they get them overseas... To like Asia, they're worth like three hundred bucks. I believe they had a segment of that was, on Lone Star Law. Actually, oh, was it? Yeah, I believe that's where I saw it too. Well, yeah, it, it, it's man, those guys were putting a dent in Florida. I mean, that's you no, know, 
It had to have been lucrative for all of that. Yeah. Like you said, the rental for cars. For three years, the rental cars, driving to Chicago. I mean, I got to, over three years, I got to think that these guys are making at least half a million dollars over that amount mm-hmm. of time. In my mind, to make all that effort worth it, mm-hmm. and the amount of traps they have to set in the value of those traps. What is it, 10,000 traps? Uh, what was it? Was it? something like that. It was, it was a lot. <laughs> yeah, 10,000 squirrel traps. Yeah. Just like the scale of this. And the only reason these guys were caught is because of an, a concerned citizen, anonymous tip that brought this whole ring down. So if you guys are seeing anything interesting, yeah, report it. Report it and send us an email. Um, Ian, what do you think, man? Yeah, I'm just wondering, kind of to Evan's point, like what's the dollar value? Because, um, you know, they're trading. Well, one, it's really sad right because I, I you know we all care about conservation and we all care about wildlife and the fact that like there's an operation out there it's really sad but i think my mind first goes to, these have to be worth major bucks like it does it list like what the total like valuation of all that would be like is this, it millions or this, it's well, got to be millions and this article didn't i can understand while maybe you know florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission would not want to list um, a value on these squirrels to not encourage other people to poach them. Yeah. So I could sure. see, you know, a reasoning behind not wanting to mention because if they're oh, like two thousand dollars a piece or something, you're going to get <laughs> Florida man out there, you know, going and poaching squirrels. For squirrels. So Cliff, I'm Georgia man, man, Georgia man, with your beans and your chili Don't just put on like time. a down parka like you're climbing everest are you cold it's a little bit chilly it's cozy <laughs> you got the exact same one as me is that the same one uh-huh. i don't think so it's the kelvin i got the kelvin light hold on i got i gotta take my long sleeve off this <laughs> all right ian you ready to rock and roll with neat things in nature yeah man i am that, that's, um, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. Okay. <laughs> As we have discussed many times, every ratchet animal thing that happens happens in Florida. Um, so, so this is from Smart News or Smithsonian Magazine. It's labeled Smart News, and it was written November 4th, 2020, com. Um, lizards fell from palm trees during a Florida cold snap, but now they've toughened up. Um, Wait, say that again, Ian? Uh, lizards fell from palm trees during a Florida cold snap, but now they've toughened up, is the, is the title of this article. <laughs> I mean, what's a Florida cold snap, like 60? <laughs> uh, 30s and 40s. Holy um, so, That is... So, that's Apparently, back chilly. in January, I assume of this year, it the temperatures in Florida dipped down into the 30s and 40s. Um, but and apparently, a bunch of large green lizards started like falling from treetops. Um, they interviewed, um, or I'm sorry, James Stroud of Washington University in St. Louis uh, got a photo from his buddy or his friend. Apparently, that like a two but long iguana like w- fell on the middle of the sidewalk. Um, 
And Stroud said, when air temperatures drop below a critical limit, lizards lose the ability to move. And he said, many lizards sleep in trees, and if the temperatures slip below this critical limit, they lose grip and just, like, fall down. Which actually is kind of sad, (laughs) but kind of weird, too. It Um, makes sense, though. They're cold-blooded animals, and you know yeah. They get sluggish when it's cold. Now, my question is, should those lizards be in Florida, or was the temperature abnormally cold? Which which piece doesn't belong? Well, Greta Thurman. I'm not really says. sure. Apparently, um, uh, Mr. Stroud um, rushed down there, and they found 63 lizards representing six species. Uh, five of which are tropical species, not mm. native to Florida. Um, yeah, I thought it was really interesting. So basically, I guess when the temperature drops, yeah, they are cold blooded. Like they're not; they lose like motor control, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting. Did did a lizard um, ever and they fall on my, anyone? I guess this was in Miami. That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> um. <laughs> Apparently, some of them survived, though. Now, it doesn't say if they fell on anyone, but apparently they adapted because there's a portion that says the hardy lizard that survived the chili crucible. I love whoever wrote this. The chili crucible last January <laughs> were not just able to tolerate colder temperatures than the 2016 cohort. All the six species' newfound tolerance had converged on roughly the same temperature, 42 degrees. I'm guessing that's Fahrenheit. Um, Apparently, this was, like, a major unexpected result. So, apparently, what happened is, like, somebody called in and was like, holy crap, there's, like, all these lizards falling out of the trees during this cold front. And this guy's like, holy crap, I'll go down there. And he goes down there. And then they found out they adapted um, and they acclimatized, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, like, that's pretty dynamic for a species, right? Yeah. And you 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 said this was all around Miami? That's what it looks like. It doesn't say specifically. Okay. Well, it mentions Miami. Um, 30s and 40s in Miami would be cold. Yeah. That's pretty significant, though. A cold-blooded animal would adapt. Wait. Yeah, yeah, that's that's true, too. It looks like, and please don't quote me, Smithsonian, if I'm reading this correctly, it looks like this has happened before because there's a – Paragraph that said, Stroud and the team were able to compare these results to a similar study he and his colleagues conducted on lizards' cold tolerance in 2016. The comparison revealed that the lizards around Miami were now able to tolerate 1.8 to 7.2 degrees Fahrenheit colder than they could in 2016. So it looks like in four years they were able to adapt. That's so it looks pretty like they significant. Studied this before. Yeah, that's, that's pretty amazing, right? Yeah, that, that's, Ian, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat. <laughs> Apparently, most of the research was like, holy crap, in like four years, these things are adapting to like a seven degree. Te- I know when the temperature changes 70, seven degrees, I'll get hot or cold typically. So. Yeah, but for Dang. a cold blooded animal, though, that, I mean, like, that's exactly that's a that's a significant yeah. genetic evolution. Yeah. In a very short period of time, in my opinion. Oh, it does look like um, Mr. Stroud did. It looks like he posted a Twitter, um, a Twitter, or I had a Twitter post where he took a picture of one, and his caption is "The big freeze has hit Miami." 
when temperatures drop below a critical limit, allowing lizards to function, sleeping lizards lose grip and drop out of trees. So do they, do you guys know, do they go into, I guess they go into like a sleepy state, like not yeah, hibernate they would have to or something. Hibernate or, I, w- I would yeah. say that the death would be more from the fall, not necessarily the cold. Yeah, no, the death is definitely from the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they go into like a hibernation type deal. Their body kind of okay. shuts down a little bit to conserve. Is that what happens? Life. Yeah. Are we boring you, Cliff? Man, Cliff is bit. so bored. Cliff is so bored. He went to go get a jacket. Dude, can you imagine, bro, like just walking down and like, <laughs> like Liz is just falling out of the tree. <laughs> what is going on? Is it raining? Oh, man. Like, it's raining, man. Hallelujah. Raining lizards. It's raining lizards. All right, guys. Well, let's move on to uh, Zach's segment. Do we're is that gonna... that one that... What do y'all... What do you... Are y'all sharing with the group? I just don't want even picture. Is this the one when you caught when we were down at the ranch? Yeah. A lizard? No, it's uh, a six-foot indigo. Texas indigo. It just made me think of it. Oh, it, I gotcha. Because it's like... It'll get like 50 degrees, and those snakes are still... Active. Active, active yeah. yeah. That's a big mama. Let me see, Cliff. This episode is brought to you by Cox Contour TV. Sometimes it's hard to decide what to watch, but Cox Contour TV helps make that decision easier. Enjoy live TV, on-demand programs, DVR recordings, and music all in one place. And only with the sound of your voice with the Contour Voice Remote. Plus, catch the golf and basketball action you've been waiting for on the Contour Sports app. Learn more at coxcox.com slash contour. This episode is brought to you by the NHL on TNT. When it comes to hockey, the Stanley Cup playoffs are built different. Experience the intensity and insanity on the ice and off it. From now through June on TNT and TBS. Get ready for seven game rounds of knockdowns, dragouts, pressure, and agony as teams go head-to-head without ever letting up. The Stanley Cup playoffs are known for more than just a few cracked ribs and black eyes. Pushing through the pain is the name of the game. With so much edge-of-your-seat action, you'll refuse to shave or change your jersey. Don't say we didn't warn you. Ready to feel the rush? Watch the Stanley Cup playoffs now on TNT and CBS. Since all of our, oh, will you send this to me and then we'll like to advertise for this episode? We'll post this picture. Sweet, that's sweet, man. Yeah. All right, guys, we're gonna move on and fill in for Zach on Creature Watch. Let me do that again because I don't know how to run a board. (laughs) (laughs) Creature Watch. Creature Watch. All right. This week we're bringing you my personal favorite it mythological has to, it has creature. To be my favorite as well, <laughs> man bear pig. I'm super serial, you guys. <laughs> this disgusting creature is said to have been created out of the hate from a mad scientist, somewhat like the generic enemy. Legend has it this beast was made in a lab after the scientist had been laughed at by his peers for never having made anything useful. Supposedly, the scientist created Man Bear Pig to annihilate the others, leaving him as the single smartest man alive. This creature then turned on its master and escaped. Nowadays, Man Bear Pig resides in the deepest part of forests. His appearance is that of three combined animals. 
half man, half bear, and half pig, <laughs> giving it tremendous power, the body of a pig, and making it heavy and giving it some defensive abilities in the head of a man. Occasionally, as the above picture suggests, they there may be mutants. Though weaker and less intelligent than humans, they should not be underestimated. Although it has although it has a human head, it is not capable of talking. Since the vocal cords are in the pig section, the head can only make pig-like sounds. Depending on its emotion, it may show only a random part of itself to others. For example, if it wants to be left alone, it will hide in bushes and expose the bare parts, hoping to scare other animals away. When it wants to attract prey, it will only expose its soft pig belly to the intended prey. When uh, wanting to eat a human, the creature will show its human head and smile. A uh, hero should be warned of this technique. If this tactic is used, it is best to try and initiate a conversation. Yeah. but So is it the bare butt? Is that what we're looking at? Have you never seen a picture you, of man bear pig? Have you, have you seen man bear pig? Mm-mm. Let me pull up this picture for you. <laughs> is it the uh, South Park rendition? Yeah. Good. Well, I think South Park. Well, actually, let That's me interesting. Let me pull up this other article. Um, was that article from South Park? It was like on a South Park fandom page. Because um, I'm thinking it was the scientist that created all those like multiple butted animals. Yeah. the uh, The creature is actually a homage from the eco horror cult film Prophecy, directed by John. Frankenheimer, wherein the film's monster is a result of an environmental contamination. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was popular, definitely popularized by South Park, mm-hmm. but they paid homage to the creature um, that was originally in that movie, Prophecy. Mm-hmm. I watched that Six Days to Air. That's a really good documentary. Yeah. I, I, if you're a South Park fan... I highly suggest you go watch Six Days to yeah. Air. I, and I know South Park's a little off topic for what our podcast is, but um, I, I love it. I think most of us are fans. I don't know about Ian, but uh, there is a good documentary on how they make they make an episode of six in six days before they air on TV, and they have a cool documentary that kind of explains how they how they got are able to crank out a animated TV show in six days. It's pretty impressive, <laughs> but. That's our creature watch for this week, guys. Man That's bear a pig. Solid one. I'm super cereal, you guys. <laughs> um, Shut up, Al Gore. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, um, so, I guess we can move into our main topic now, which is coyote hunting. Which is why Evans on the podcast this week. Because are you pretty good at coyote hunting? I mean, Dude, yeah, don't be is. don't be humble. You can so you can sell your skills. I got you. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I am. So, well, first, let's, there, there's a lot that I. Well, we, we can talk. There's a lot that I know, but there's so much more that I know mm-hmm. that I don't know. I've done a lot, but I also hunt with guys that have been hunting. You know, honestly, some of those guys have been hunting coyotes mm-hmm. longer than I've been alive. Okay, okay. Let me let me start off by asking. Let, let's back oh, up a little bit okay. and introduce Evan for who he is and how he knows the group. So I was first introduced to Evan via Trout Fest, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers. And then me and him 
became friends. And he's also became become my mentor pretty much for I mean he he's never claimed to be my mentor, but I claim him as my mentor for Texas hunting mm-hmm. and uh even what I did do in getting involved with BHA. Um so that's how I know him. Evan, do you wanna go into how you know the other guys that's pretty or much about that's, yourself. Well, that's pretty much how I met everybody. Uh, I guess really through trout fest. Mm-hmm. I kind of met all of y'all at trout fest at some point. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had met Evan, I think at like one BHA event that I went to, but we didn't really know each other. I think we right. chatted for like a second, yeah. but yeah, trout fest is like, and then you invited us down to, uh, the property and yeah, yeah, and it was fun. Yeah. So fun. so let me so start good, off the man. let me start off the conversation. Evan's of, also how we get to do this podcast. Yeah, we we did buy our <laughs> podcast equipment from, from Evan's Evan. previous podcast. Is that still out there? Like, has it been taken it's down? Still out in the ether. Do you want to you want to give a plug for your podcast that's out in the ether? Well, no, because it wasn't my podcast. It was just um, uh, you know, a podcast I was on with some other friends, and it kind of, um, you know, I don't know if it's in limbo right now or whatnot. I mean, there's still stuff out there. I'm pretty sure it's all still posted. So, mm-hmm. but no, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna it, it fizzled out. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. Um. So let me let let's start off the let me start off the conversation by asking. Why would someone want to coyote hunt? You know, that's hard. Well, that's hard for me. And that's to a answer. pretty hard question. Yeah, that's that's hard for me to answer because I'm one of those guys. Like, if you if if you ask like hunting or fishing, I'm gonna hunting all day long. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite thing to hunt? Yes, like I love hunting. <laughs> I mean, that's just. I mean, I love fishing, and that's why I like fly fishing because fly fishing is kind of marries the two. Yeah, well, it's just well, I got to be careful how I say that because there's a lot of skill that goes into flipping jigs underneath a dock too. <laughs> that's not a you know me being facetious. That's no, uh, it is but, challenging, but hunting is just hunting is my thing, and it always has been. Um, so a little, I'll give you a little background on me first. What I, I meant by I it marries the two is that a lot of Fly fishing can be regarded as sight fishing, which would be a form of hunting. Yeah, to my like a spot and stalk. Whereas flipping a jig underneath a dock, I'm not knocking it. Right. I'm just saying that that is more of quintessential fishing. Right. Yeah, you're throwing a crankbait along, you know, some underwater structure. It's not the same as, um, yeah, sight sight fishing is is really kind of spot and stalk is what I'd call it. Right, so, which I enjoy it a lot. But I'm a hunter. I mean, I'm a I, you know I love fishing, but fishing is what I do when I'm not hunting, and I'm going to try and hunt. Um, so I'm I'm from here. I'm from Bryan, Texas originally. Um, spent some time in Alabama uh, for a little bit. Uh, we joke. My sister was born in Alabama. We joke that she's the only one that's not from Texas, and she's lucky she has all her teeth. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh no i tell her that yeah yeah i tell her that it's all good it's all in love uh but uh alabama was fun i actually learned a lot about hunting in alabama there's a lot man the south is uh like that kind of south has different anyway i'm getting off topic um then i spent some time in kansas um and uh was working on a ranch up there and met a buddy and uh you know i was doing some hunting but i wasn't really um i wasn't really that good of a hunter 
right? I'm from Texas, right? Were we, you were you pheasant hunting when you were up there, or were you uh, um, I actually deer did hunting? Like, well, when I first got up there, um, I was just deer hunter, mm-hmm. right? Just hunt deer. Um, I didn't really know about hunting anything else. I mean, I knew about pigs, but they don't have well, they they do now, but they at the time they didn't have wild pigs in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just a deer hunter. Well, being from Texas, you know, where I was from in Texas, you know, it was like put some sour corn out and we'll wait for the deer and pigs to show up, you know, kind of, or throw a feeder up, you know, Mm -hmm. and if they're not there within an hour, we'll go back to the house kind of deal. So I wasn't, I, I don't consider myself like a real hunter. Well, I got to Kansas, um, working on this ranch. Um, and, uh, it was a hog and cattle ranch and, um, and I met this guy in college and we became buddies and he, he kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to brag on him a little bit. He, he kind of, you know, used me. We're still really good friends to this day. One of my best friends, uh, he's up in Nebraska and he realized that I had access to some of the best property in the whole area, uh, because of where I worked. And so he's like, have you ever been coyote hunting? And I said, no, like, why I don't, why would you shoot a coyote other than just cause you see a mangy coyote, you know, like what you don't, you don't hunt them, you know, you just shoot them. And he's like, well, there's a lot, lot to it. And so I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll take you out there. And he's like, yeah, that's good. That's, I want to go hunting out there. And so we go and, uh, to make a long story short, he really taught me how to hunt. He taught me about being stealthy. He taught me about observing the animals. He taught me about, um, how to call to them and talk to them and, and lure them in and not to, not to make it something that it wasn't, but he kind of really taught me in in a roundabout way. He taught me kind of like, um, a natural way to hunt. If you think about like, however many years ago, thousands, millions, whatever, you know, like Native Americans that used to be here, right? That would, when they hunted, or any Native people for that matter, I suppose, when they hunted, right, they, we always see like the pictures or the depictions, like they're wearing like a a wolf skin or some kind of skin of the animal and they're stalking this animal, right? They're mm-hmm. trying to, nat- they're trying to mimic this am- animal to some degree, right? To gain its favor so they can kill it because they need the skin or the meat or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you're not going to eat a coyote. <clears throat> well, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm willing to try it. I haven't eaten it yet, but I'm, I'm still willing to try it. Um, but we got into this thing where, where he's like, you know, you talk to the animal. You want to lure it in. You want to you learn what, it, what it's doing. You want to learn what it says. You want to learn what he's thinking. And um, it was a very tactical mindset. So to answer your question is, why do you want a coyote hunt? Well, you may not want to. But I think, in my opinion, is if you really want to get down and, and learn, um, and you could say this for, I mean, you could say this for turkey hunting. If you really want to learn how to hunt an animal, a coyote is a great place to start or a great place to go if you want to get better. Uh, they're very, they're very wary. They're very intelligent. Um, they're very inquisitive. And it goes back to what we were saying earlier about how they survive. You know, they can survive in a pack or they can survive alone. They, it's almost like, this is my opinion, they, they are very, um, they calculate like they think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not to, not to, you know, make, you know, humanize them too much or anything like that. But, but they really, I mean, sometimes they can be really stupid, right? It's like if you throw like a little decoy out there and do a little rabbit call, I mean, they're like pouncing on it nearly. You know what I mean? Like that seems kind of dumb. But you're mimicking what they, but they are also going after. do when they respond to that, they do it almost intellectual too. Like they might right. be dumb going to check it out. Like that's that time down at the ranch, me and you, I threw out the electronic call mm-hmm. and we were literally, I was just tinkering around with it. 
Mm-hmm. And I did a distressed rabbit, I believe, or some sort of call from it. And within 10 minutes, we had one coming off of a neighboring property mm-hmm. yelping at us. Mm-hmm. And yelping, yelping, yelping. Mm-hmm. And then we moved the call farther out because we were like, well, we got him this close. Mm-hmm. How much closer can we get him? And he was probably, he was less than 100 yards mm-hmm. to us. And we said, well, we've got him this close. See if we can't get him in. And I ran out down that little Sendero, dropped off the call, came back, and sat up with uh, the, what, what? kind of reason i don't remember but we we set up and we just kind of started letting the call like do its thing mm-hmm. and that coyote you could hear him go mm-hmm. around the cabin and mm-hmm. come up and he never once showed himself mm-hmm. after that but you could hear him all around us he was mm-hmm. dancing all around us yeah they're very they're very intelligent like i said i think they calculate um and they're just they're not an easy animal to hunt um like if you go to one area and you hunt coyotes you can't let's say you do a 30 minute set and we never now so what so what's a 30 minute set so what you'll do is you'll set up you'll set up an area you know you'll get you'll get hidden in the brush or you know back in some trees or whatever you want to hide right Mm -hmm. and you want to um tactically set yourself up in advantage so that you can see the coyote before it sees you mm-hmm. or, or you might have a decoy, you know, like one of those little, uh, uh, rotating or vibrating, like little rabbit pelt looking things, mm-hmm. right. That shakes out there and gives them something to look at. So they're mm-hmm. not because like all animals, deer, whatever, they come to where that call is like, they, they know where that call is coming from. And so you want to kind of distract them from pinpointing your location. Cause that's where the calling is coming from. Mm-hmm. So like now we, I mean, you know, we, we've, been hunting for years we're a little bit older so we use electronic calls right but um but back then we were using mouth calls and just uh doing distress rabbits or challenge calls or whatever but you'd set up (laughs) you'd set up and um and and get tucked in and you'd call and basically if if a coyote wasn't going to come in within say half an hour then they weren't going to come in Right. So that that would be a set, a 30 minute set. Okay. And let's say you killed two coyotes in that 30 minutes. You're not not every time, but most of the time, if you keep calling, the rest of the coyotes got it figured out. They're like, I saw Earl get shot. I know there's dudes over there. I'm not I'm not answering that anymore. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm leaving. I'm going to a different area. So you'd have to pack up and move to a different area to do another set. Like they figure you out. They figure they figure out something's not right. So you're constantly like moving changing yeah. like every yep. 30 minutes moving yep. changing yeah yeah, yeah and, and you know like if you're and this is not for any other varmints like if you're if you're calling cat cats like bobcats the same kind of situation you're gonna sit there probably for an hour because the cat's gonna take longer i mean cliff you know you love cats so they're very <laughs> you know how they are they, <laughs> they're satan's animals <laughs> <laughs> but coyotes like i mean they're if they're coming in they're coming in if they're there you know, they're at least going to answer you. Like, like let in our situation. Me, let me put a caveat on that. Mm-hmm. House cats are Satan's mm. animal. Big cats alike. Yeah. Are you allergic to them too? I have Probably. no idea, but I respect them more. <laughs> Bobcat tastes real good. I can tell you that. I swear I still <clears throat> saw that cougar. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> you paid those guys too to come down that weekend and tell you about it. Um, 
so yeah, so coyote hunting is very challenging. Um, and I think, and at least, and I only speak for, for myself. And so it's hard for me not to think anyone else it wouldn't apply for anyone else, but it's a very challenging hunt. Um, it taught me a lot about hunting. It taught me a lot about patience. Um, just, it, it provided for me a skill set that really honed in what I was already kind of like had a passion mm-hmm. for. And know? I think I've done a little bit of coyote hunting and I think like a big takeaway is learning how to like Coyotes seem to always go downwind yep. of yep every of, time of whatever it is, and so it makes you very wind conscious, which will help you out in other hunting that you do. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, Evan, is that like their predatory nature? Is that why, like, just because they, they're hunting as well? Yes, yeah, they're always hunting, um, and and coyotes don't really have. I mean, I. Again, I'm not an authority on this, okay? But I just don't know that coyotes really have any sort of predator themselves other than humans. It, at least here. I don't I can't mm. that may not be the case in like it Montana. Says, wolves wolves, it wolves, wolves will hunt in coyotes. Cougars. Right. In like Montana yeah, in or Montana, somewhere. Yeah. yeah Colorado but not here. Or whatever. Right. Here they don't have any they I'm don't sure have any those predator. Cougars, the I don't think there's no would. there's no mountain lions, Cliff. You need we can't have this discussion right now. I swear that wasn't. You're wearing a sick shirt. I'm not listening. You're wearing that commie first light camo. <laughs> anyway. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah, look, Keep going. guys, guys. <laughs> um, they, yeah, they're they're very, you know, so they're very, um, yes, Ian. They're they're always hunting, but they're always. And again, that could be like from that book we talked about the the pressure they've had from them just from humans over the years, over the hundreds and thousands of years. They, they have that predatory or that, um, well, maybe not predatory, but they have that instinct where they are the predator, but they kind of always had that fear or the caution in the back of their mind that something's after them, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're the top dog, but what if they're not? And yeah, so they are always going downwind. Like no matter what, they're going to circle downwind from you. What are some uh, like coyote hunting myths that you've heard that you'd like to dispel if there's myths. any? I, you know... Or like misconceptions. At one point, I heard like if you hear a coy- if you're hunting and you hear a coyote, then you know they're t- they're telling everyone else of your existence. Um, that that could be true. I mean, I don't know that I've heard any myths or anything um, that I would find, you know, you know, just you know, asinine statements or something like that. Mm-hmm. I I don't know. Um, coyotes do they do communicate very well. And that, mm. that communication is, um, which, which again, maybe why I'm, I'm a big duck hunter too, because of that communication, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing with turkey hunting. I love hunting things that you can call. I mean, I love deer hunting, but like, I don't really get into the whole calling deer thing. Has that worked for me? Cliff and I are having that conversation. It's worked mm-hmm. for me in other States. It hasn't really worked for me in Texas necessarily, but, um, I like calling things that, that talk to me, you know, mm-hmm. ducks talk, um, turkey talk, coyotes really talk. Mm-hmm. They have a lot mm-hmm. of communication, a lot of different things, and a lot of different things you can call to, you know, that one, uh, it was actually doing, and I, and I mentioned this, I remember mentioning this when you were out there, it was doing like, it was a young, it was a young, I, I feel like it was a young male and he was doing a challenge call. And I'm like, if I had, if I had my calls with me right now and I could do a challenge call, I was like, we could get that joker in. Like he's coming in because he's so what made you think he was doing a challenge call? Just the type of call he was doing. Mm-hmm. He was doing a, it was doing a short little yippy howl. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just like, uh, it was like a, Hey, 
who you who's out there who's I'm talking here. i'm out here who's who's in my area you know mm-hmm. just kind of like you think about that young stud and he's you know he's bowing up on you yeah and it sounds like too if he circled all the way around you could hear him making a lot of noise yep. yeah well he was talking to us but then once he got either probably downwind uh downwind of of where we were sitting so he smelled us or he just there was something he didn't like about it mm-hmm. so he never it could came it, out. he never came in and it could have been it could have been that decoy because i'm gonna tell you right now man they'll learn those decoys they'll go man that's not real i've seen that before have uh, because we're all, all same, daytime right? were you all daytime yeah. hunting no it's night no. it's probably nine thirty yeah. or so it was, it was plenty dark yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah are they most active at night I feel like and they I've are. seen a lot during the day, like moving and stuff like so that. So now that talk about your dispelling myths or whatever. So that actually is a, a, a little bit of a point of discussion. We'll call um, kind of like uh, kind of like, you know, does the full moon change the deer pattern or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, I have mm-hmm. I have read that coyotes are most active between nine and 10 a.m. That the, in that morning time, kind of that in between morning time, it's it's morning, but it's not quite midday. It's not hot yet necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. I don't know if they're considered diurnal or not. Um, they're not nocturnal, so because they certainly move during the day. I've killed more coyotes during the day than at night. I can tell mm-hmm. you that. So and that maybe that's because when I'm hunting them. Yeah, but I have hunted them plenty at night. So growing up, there was uh, I was surrounded by cattle. And I most vividly remember them being most active during the twilight times. So right as the sun's kind of coming up and getting up on into the sky, and then as the sun's going down would be when I would hear them yipping, hollering, cackling, and all that Mm -hmm. the most. See, I, I and I have the opinion only, the opinion that that's when they're, um, waking up. That's when they're doing their roll call. Mm. Right? Mm. So it's not that they're not moving or they are moving. It's just that's that was that's when they're like, "Hey, who's out there? Where where's you know, my, where's my fam at? Where yeah, or where where my homies at? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah, do, who's out there? Do they always hunt in pack seven, or do do they hunt individually, or like no, they- no, and that's and that's what we were talking about earlier. That fission fusion. I have to think about saying that. Um, that uh, yeah. Dan, Dan Flores talks about in his book Coyote America. Um, that they they are very very adaptive, and they can they can mm. either way they can they're very successful in a pack, and they're very successful um, on their own, you know, individually. So they can they can hunt now. Will they will they take down a Will they take down a deer by themselves? Eh, probably not. I mean, maybe, you know, a fawn. Um, whereas that's going to be more, they're going to have that pack uh, mentality like a wolf will. They will hunt like a pack. Uh, when he's by himself, he's going to go after rabbits and mice and that sort of thing. Mm. But they're still, I mean, their their survivability is an, is amazing. One thing that I've always thought about with, with coyote hunting, just maybe it's more of a mental thing, but... Um, like electronic calls with coyotes being so smart. I always felt like every electronic call I ever used never sounded quite right. Mm-hmm. And was it really effective if they're smart, they know what so a real I call would, is? I would say no. I'd say your most prime, and I'm not an authority whatsoever, And I, but I would say if you can hand call them or mouth call them, like based off you, or even using like a distressed rabbit call, that is going to be far more effective than the electronic call. 
Now, I will say where you need to do the electronic call is if you can't blow those, if you can't mimic those just right, then at least the electronic call has those sounds going at the right pitches, going at the right tempos and all that to be realistic Mm -hmm. enough. I would say that the electronic call is a, a crutch that you can lean on, but it's... Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it's everybody can go out and buy, you know, brand X, Y, or Z from, you know, big name store. Right. right. And they all sound the same. They all have the same recordings. So if, you know, you got 10 guys hunting the same area or whatever, they're all going to sound the same. Where To your point, when you're using a mouth call, you can switch it up and change it up. And much like a duck call, it's an instrument. And so mm-hmm. when you learn how to tone it, when you learn how to get that, that tune, then you can adjust as needed you know you can you can very quickly switch on the fly from meeting that challenge call to uh, a uh, a friendly uh, yip or howl or you can go to a rabbit distress or uh, a jackrabbit distress even you can change it from cottontail to jackrabbit but you know like in your area you guys probably have a ton of jackrabbits you know that's probably more effective than something else so now a, a good thing <clears throat> to mention with this conversation about what you talked about earlier is coyotes know where the sound's coming from if you're calling you know if you're calling they're seeking out where you're sitting whereas an advantage of an electronic call was you could set it mm-hmm. however far away from you set up and they're seeking out mm-hmm. that origin source yeah so i guess yeah. that's maybe also something to take into consideration as well yeah wind wind uh like you said wind plays a major part in that which i mean wind plays a major part when you're doing any sort of big game hunting Mm -hmm. um you know deer elk or whatever um but uh i think just having good you know good uh, concealment you know camouflage helps Mm -hmm. Uh, I, i wouldn't i wouldn't have that opinion on everything but with with coyotes, uh, camouflage, getting, getting undercover somehow helps when we would hunt at night. Um, this friend of mine, Steve, that, that really kind of taught me how to hunt and still an amazing, the dude is an amazing hunter. Um, I got him into bow hunting and now if I have questions about archery, I call him. I mean, he's just the, the, how's it go? The, the student became the master or mm-hmm. whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, he, he's phenomenal at, at coyote hunting and he's done his entire life. He's done, tournaments like they have tournaments up north you know coyote hunting tournaments mm. and uh people pay and you know it's all, all done through the co-op or something but anyhow uh we were we were hunting and and uh a lot of times we just wear black you know because it's night you know and we would get tucked in the shadows you know mm-hmm. we'd hunt on a on a full moon or half moon or whatever where we could have some light and uh we'd we'd tuck into the shadows i don't remember who was calling this one particular night but um i i I still stand that I hold the record. Uh, had a coyote at seven yards before. That's pretty dang close. Before the coyote saw me. The problem is he was at seven yards before I really saw him. <laughs> <laughs> so he was right there. Um, but they were, I mean, they were they were coming in quick. And and uh, we were kind of hunting. Uh, it was on a ranch, and we were kind of hunting like a dead pile. And so you could. You know they were kind of coming to that area anyway, so we we ha- we certainly were were using that to our advantage. But um, so hunting at night, is there anything that you use to help you see visually? I, I know how hard it can be. Mm-mm. No, just moonlight. Yeah, yeah, moonlight. We don't 
we don't spotlight a lot of places it's not legal uh texas right you can just pretty much do whatever you want but mm -hmm. when you go up north there's a lot of restrictions on spotlight mm -hmm. especially I like spotlighting i mean it has its place uh but yeah i probably would agree with you mostly um I think Kansas may have recently changed it, uh, but for the longest time, you could not legally have a spotlight and a gun in your hand at the same time, basically. Mm. Um, I think they do allow spotlighting on private land now, but uh, no, we would just use moonlight. Um, and and uh, a lot of times it was, when it was the two of us, it was one of us had a shotgun or a short range gun and the other one had a rifle. Because you could, you know, with a, with a good scope, and the right moonlight, you could still see out 200 yards, mm -hmm. right, through that scope. I mean, because that, that, that 50 millimeter objective can still gather enough light. And so, um, you know, we, we would we'd use the moonlight to our advantage, basically. Uh, but a lot of times we hunted during the day. So we'd hunt, you know, we'd, we'd hunt in the morning or hunt in the evening going into dark. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty challenging. It's not a, it's not a easy, it's not an easy thing to do in my opinion it takes a lot of i mean i think it you might think it's easy because you just throw an electronic call out there and be done mm -hmm. but they wise up to it i mean you're not gonna it's not gonna it might work once but right yeah they're gonna they're gonna learn it quick yeah, yeah. Yep. evan how would you how do you kind of plan like let's say you find some land and you're like okay we're gonna go coyote hunting you find friends to go with what do you recommend for like planning like it, like as far as strategy like to begin and things like that well first you got to know if the coyotes are there uh you need to have a you know historical uh evidence right you need to have the the landowner um has seen them had a problem with them hears them a bunch even uh, obviously you don't want to just go somewhere and expect to call in a coyote uh, coyotes are everywhere but it doesn't mean they're where you want them to be um Outside of that, man, it's really, um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a, you got to think like a tactical advantage. You want to get somewhere where you can hide, where you have a better uh, vantage point than they do. So like, you're not going to put yourself down in a valley. Um, well, which you shouldn't be shooting up a hill anyway, but you're not going to put yourself down in a valley uh, where they're going to come up over, uh, over a hill and look down at you, right? You're going to want to kind of be up on the hill because coyotes are not going to skylight themselves. Right. They're not going to, they're not going to, um, so skylight meaning they're not going to run up across the top of a hill, um, you know, to, to give away their position. They're going to stay down low and they're going to use, they're going to use, um, you know, ravines and, and for lack of better words, words, uh, cracks and crevices in the landscape, you know, to their advantage. They're going to use those little, those little cut throughs and stuff where nobody can see them, but they can use their nose and their ears. Um, so you want to have a tactical advantage. You want to be up, maybe if you can be up higher. Um, and then you want to use that moonlight to your advantage. If you're hunting at night, if you're not hunting at night, then, you know, like I said, if you just, if you can find a place where you can see, if you can have a visual um, overview of, of where you're hunting so that you can either, well, I guess take multiple guns. <laughs> uh, I've never actually shot one with a, with an arrow. I've shot at one before but they're pretty quick. Uh, when you're that close, they, they like to move. So, um, and they move very fast. In fact, they, uh, uh here's a little, uh, what do you guys call them? Hot tips? Is that, is that what you call it? Well, we do the hot takes, but those hot are controversial subjects. Perfect. This is great. A <laughs> three-legged coyote will outrun a four-legged coyote. 
because he's learned. Is that right? Because a three-legged coyote knows he only has three legs left, so he's got to find another drag. I've, dude, I've shot a coyote, and this is, I know this is graphic, but I've shot a coyote and literally watched his, one of his front legs, like, flap in the wind. Uh, you know, like, just, I mean, flail around. And the other three, wow. the other three legs, it was like he never missed a beat. Mm. I mean, just hauled butt. I mean, he was gone. And, and that's that survivability. They're just tough. Um, so, yeah, three-legged coyote will outrun a four-legged coyote. <laughs> Um, is there a certain caliber you like to use for coyote hunting? Like, no, I think that's just the deer or whatever you have. Yeah. I mean, the faster the bullet, the better because they are a fast animal. I mean, they're not out there like the matrix dodging bullets. I'm not going to use, I, I have used my 270 before. Um, that's probably the, the largest caliber I've ever used. I'm trying to remember. Um, most of the time, it was like a 17 HMR, 22 mag, um, 12 gauge with double buck buckshot because that'll reach out 50 mm. yards, you know. Uh, most of the time, it was that. We weren't mm. using high-powered uh, center fire rifles. It was mostly, well, the 17 HMR. Well, no, that's rimfire. I was trying to think. The 22 mag, that's rimfire. That's rim. Yeah, 12 gauge shotgun. That's center fire are by technicality. Well, true. <laughs> but it's shot shell. Yeah. Can I mean, you use like a twenty two Magnum? Would that work? Yeah. Yep. Use that plenty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the idea is you want to get them in close, right? I don't want, I'd rather not shoot a coyote at two hundred yards. I'd rather shoot him at thirty. You know, because they're they're they are a tough critter. I mean they're very, very hardy and and you shoot one and um, the funny thing I, in my experience is coyotes don't bleed until they're laying there. You know, when they're moving, there's not really a blood trail. Now, once they're dead and they're laying there, right, they bleed a lot. Um, but, but they're hard to track. In my experience, mm-hmm. they're hard to track. So you don't, you don't want to make a far shot where you, you know, okay, granted, maybe you might be a crack shot at 200 yards and you can, no problem, you know, you can head shoot it or whatever. Maybe you're that guy, but I'm not that guy. I want them close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do these same techniques apply to cats? For the most part, yes. Um, the only thing is uh, you have to have a lot more patience with a cat. Coyotes is, like I said, about 30-minute setup, maybe 45. Mm-hmm. If you're hunting like a bobcat, uh, and I've never successfully hunted mountain lion that way, but I guess it would... Um, no, you got one on your property. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> this joker pays two two guys that I've never met before to come over and visit. Cliff Coward didn't pay and they're, nobody. And they're like, we think we saw a mountain lion, coincidentally, right where Cliff saw his. Whatever. I told you. Um, so anyway, we they bobcats are just, I mean, cats are um, just as inquisitive, but, but cats have patience that dogs don't. Dogs, they want an answer, right? They're going to go. They're going to figure it out. They're big. They're bad. They're... You know, cats are sneaky. Cats are very um, conniving, evil. They're Satan's animal. There you go. <laughs> Satan's pet. So you got to have a lot. It's basically the same thing. In my experience, it's the same thing. You just have a lot. You know, you got to be willing mm-hmm. to sit. And when I say sit there, so this is the one thing. So the first time the first time we ever went out, it's cold. This is Kansas, okay? And my buddy Steve is from Nebraska, so he's used to the cold. I'm from Texas, okay? And I just moved to Kansas from Alabama, so cold and wind were not in my, like those, those things were not going well for me. And so I'm up there and we're kind of on this little hillside. Again, vantage point, we're sitting uh, kind of tucked in behind some, or in front of some cedars. They're casting a shadow over us, but we can see 
the whole uh, the whole pasture basically in front of us. There's you know there's 250 acres in front of us at least, right? And so we're sitting there and and like I'm sniffling, I'm like you know and and oh, <clears throat> you know he's like, dude, you gotta you're gonna quit clearing your throat. You gotta quit sniffling. I'm like, well, my nose is running. He's like, let it run, man. Just let your nose run. You can clean it later. He's like, we're coyote hunting. I'm like, I don't know. What are you talking about? He's like, they can hear that. I'm like, and, and the wind was like 20 miles an hour, just, you know? And he's like, they can hear that. They can hear you sniffle. You got to stop doing that. And he really taught me, like, the stealthiness of not moving. Like, I'm a very fidgety movie person, right? I That's move a me. lot. And, but when it comes, and, and, and I'm spooled with Texas hunting because I can get up in a, in a deer blind, you know, in a tower blind and text your buddies the entire time yeah exactly yeah exactly truth because i text cliff all the time i'm like hey man what are you doing you know (laughs) like sometimes i'll facetime my kids you know what i mean it's like it's not it's not that difficult but when it comes to coyote hunting it's it's a the mindset for me is you lay there you don't move you don't breathe you don't make a sound because the only way that you're going to be a more effective predator is to out predator them Mm-hmm. And that's what they do. They will. They'll get out there and they'll sit there. And you think, man, that dog's just sitting there. And that no, that dog's sitting there and he's like surveying the land. He's looking. He's watching. You know, he is. He is being a little cat-like. They're just not as patient as a cat, like a bobcat, about it. So you know, the idea is he. He taught me. He. I mean, he. Oh my gosh, he would rip me. He would. He, he would get so mad at me. And I asked him one time. I said, dude, why did you keep taking me hunting? Like, why did you? offer to take me coyote hunting he's like man you you had like the best hunting property in like four counties <laughs> he's like what was i supposed to do and i'm like you used me you dirty you know blankety blank blank and he's like yeah and i was like that eh, worked out pretty well because we we're still <laughs> friends he's like you actually turned into to a pretty decent hunter he goes it was a hard road but you you know you got there you know like in that regard and because uh, obviously there's still a lot to learn but um yeah, I just do the stealthiness of it is, I mean, you cannot, and it's worse with a bobcat. You cannot move. You can't move. You cannot make a sound. You can't scratch your leg. You can't like, well, you know, my left butt cheek's going numb from sitting on this, mm-hmm. you know, up against this cedar branch or whatever. Tough it out, man. If you want to kill a coyote, don't move. Just do not move. Cool, man. Well, we're yeah. at time. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to send this to my dad because he, he likes to coyote hunt. And uh, I think he's going to appreciate. Oh, he listened to all of ours. Uh, I think he started listening. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if we should be talking about my dad's listening patterns on air, but uh, I have a question. He, he wasn't. In it. He was doing the YouTube, like watching all of our videos that we were putting out. But what's your question? So, how do you say it? Coy- you s- coyote, yodi, coyote. Oh. Coyote, coyote. I say coyote. I say coyote. I sometimes. say coyote, or I say yote. Yote. That's in that book too. You'll enjoy that in the book. He talks about the origin of the name. I got gotcha. you. How to say it? Yeah. I pretty, say pretty coyote sure. because my my grandfather um, said it that way. Yeah, I've heard. I say it both. I say coyote or coyote, um, but up north they say uh, yote. Yote. That's good. Yeah. Oh, really? See, mm-hmm. I say coyote if I'm being, like, I guess more formal about it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm, like, talking to, like, you or something like that and I'm shortening it up, I'll say yote. Mm. Like, when we shot those gadwalls, like, gadwalls, the proper term, but then I called them gaddies. Great up. I called them Oh, gaddies. Evan. Yes, sir. Landon, can I tell a story really quick? Yeah. I think this will be good. 
Um, Evan, this is interesting. So I was in South Austin and I was going on a walk. My brother and my sister-in-law live about 10 minutes away. Um, so I would drove over to their neighborhood and they've got some, uh, trees, um, and like, like little bit of foresty areas. Like there's some green belt style areas, but there's some thick brush and cover in their neighborhood. And we're going for a walk and like probably 15, 20 yards away, this dog runs past us. I was like, oh, someone's dog got, and we all paused. And it was a really small coyote, like probably 25, 30 pounds. And it just paused probably 25 yards away. This is at about 9 p.m. And like turns and looks at us, real long body, real bushy tail, and just stops and looks at us and then runs off. And it was kind of eerie, man, because we didn't even hear it, like you were saying. And I was like, and we all kind of froze for a second, and then we looked at each other, and it ran off, and I go, that was a coyote. And they were like, yeah. yeah. But did you see that? Like, <laughs> I think I mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I saw a coyote driving home from Cliff's house after a podcast one yeah. night over at Off Vance Jackson, which is like super populated when I, town. When I went to Big Bend, when you come into the park, there was one literally just sitting right off of the side of the road. Mm. They're a beautiful animal. Yeah, yeah they, they, are. They're cool. they are, man. And to your point, Evan, it was so stealthy. Like, we didn't even kind of see it come up. And I think it, it was heard, pretty quiet, too. I've heard from that book that there's a coyote within three miles of every... No, it was two miles of every person in the United States. There's a coyote within yep, two miles of every person yep. in the U.S. Does that include, uh, like, Manhattan and places like that? Yep. Yes. Yeah, if you haven't read wow. that book, not to plug someone else's book i guess but if you haven't read that book it's worth a read. Uh, it is it, it is has very, some very interesting stories that you'll go that's not real what I mean, is it called coyote, coyote america i'll read that i'm looking yep. for a new book yeah i'll link it in the description to make it easier for our I'll podcast listeners you. boom all right guys well thanks for listening and uh if you guys want to submit a question on the next podcast, you know, uh, you can do it on our Instagram, our email, honeyholeangling at gmail.com. Um, that's how Woodtip gets in contact with us. And uh, we have some cool stickers and stuff on our website if you guys want some cool swag. Um, in the meantime, we'll catch you all next week. Cut them down. <laughs>